Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. I'm your host, Omar Ford, Editor-in-Chief of MDDI, an online publication that covers the medical device and diagnostics industry. And we're going to be speaking with EY's Jim Welch, and we're going to talk all about EY's Pulse of the Industry report. And we're also going to just talk about the deal activity and the M&A activity going on in MedTech for 2022. Jim, who is EY's global MedTech leader, health sciences and wellness, is no stranger to the Let's Talk MedTech podcast. He's been a featured guest and always has great commentary. So without further ado, let's talk MedTech with EY's Jim Welch. Well, hello, Jim, and welcome back to Let's Talk MedTech. How have you been? Uh, I've been great, Omar. Thanks for having me back again. Sure, sure. You're one of my favorite guests. I mean, you <laughs> get straight to the point and, and you know, we've got some really interesting things to talk about today. Sounds good. Yeah, I look forward to it. So a lot has changed in the industry since we had you on last year and we talked about EY's State of the Industry Report. Right off the bat, the first thing that jumped out to me was the D, the deal volume, the M&A volume. It's surprisingly mm-hmm. different than what it was in 2021. Can you go into more detail about the M&A climate and, and how would you describe it? Hot, cold, moderate? Uh, happy to do it. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The climate has changed significantly. And I think you've got to look, um, when you think about the climate itself, you need to look at it both from a macro view and a kind of inside the industry view is the way we look at it. So obviously the macro environment has changed significantly um, with what's going on in the economy and inflation and interest rates and geopolitical pressures. So, you know, clearly you've got um, some headwinds coming at the industry and other industries for that sense um, from a lot of different places. Um, So that in and of itself has affected, we think, you know, we think it's affected the, the deal volume overall. Internally, from um, from inside the industry standpoint, you've obviously also got a lot of things changing with um, kind of what's going to happen as we move out of the pandemic, what's happening with remote care, digital health. Um, so you've got shifting sands in, in both kind of areas. But as we look at the results and the output, M&A was off significantly. The period ending June of 22, as we measured it in the report, significantly lower and but that's coming off a fairly busy um first half of you know 2021 so you know you've got definitely some things have slowed down um the financing of smaller companies has slowed down but we actually do think going forward um, there will be more activity m&a activity happening one because smaller organizations aren't getting the financing they did before so that'll make their valuations a little bit more attractive to the bigger organizations and then secondly, just continued need for innovation and growth in the industry in and of itself creates opportunities for M&A. So uh, we do think the deals will, will continue to go um, going forward, although IPOs and SPACs, obviously, if, if, as we've talked about in the past, Omar, a little, a little bit quieter than they have been historically. Yeah, and, and we'll get to that a little bit later yep. in the conversation. But I, I want to go back to something you just said about that the deals would continue. Um, what kind of deals do you think we could see? I remember back in 2014 that we saw all these mega mergers. And we I'm not going to name any names, uh, but but you, you had larger companies coming together. 
And um, then it seemed a couple years later, you had a lot of tuck-in acquisitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had a ton of them uh, done, especially in 2018. Uh, Going forward, do you think we'll see any more mega mergers or will we see, uh, well, what will the quality of the deals be, you think? What does the trend look like? Where do you think we're going with this? I think a couple pieces. You know, you you can never rule out mega mergers, right? This industry is historically... Historically had them and uh, they've worked out fairly well for for the participants in them. So, you know, we never take those completely off the table, Omar. But I think going forward, it's probably more likely that you've got a couple of things happening. One, you've got a number of newly independent med tech companies that will be coming into play um, later this year and next year. Um, you know, you've got GE Healthcare spinning out of out of GE. You've got other changes structurally on, on other big med tech. So those um, independent organizations will likely do deals, right? Because they'll mm-hmm. create growth and they have capital to deploy. So that's kind of one piece of the puzzle. So that'll drive some volume. Now, I would call those somewhat tuck in, more tuck-in type acquisitions. Um, they might be still sizable, right? But they would still be kind of in a particular therapy area, particular product area, particular customer base. Um, so I think those deals will definitely continue. I think you'll also have Organizations continue to look at their portfolio, um, as a number of them have stated, both you know, in publicly and their in their most recent earning calls. So as you look at that, continual structural changes will create opportunities for M and A. But I think definitely, um, I def I definitely think there'll be more, certainly more tuck in, certainly more activity on the mid to high uh, and capital market standpoint, and. Um, I think the activity is definitely going to pick up going forward. Agreed, agreed, agreed. You know, it's just interesting to see this cycle that we're in now and and to look at all the deals that are happening. And, you know, you all coined this term or or you've uh, EY has said this several times, but for 2022, the spin is in. (laughs) <laughs> and we're seeing a lot of um, companies uh, spin out smaller units or, or, or just units in general. And will we, to, to that point, will we see that continue? Is that kind of the new way of of, of thinking about, I don't want to say M&A, but, but it, not really divestitures, but is that kind of the new way going forward? I think, well, I mean, historically, it's always been a piece of the puzzle, Omar. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and yes, my... Good friend John Babbitt loves, loves <laughs> to use that term, the spinners in. So I'll make sure we give him credit on that one. But, um, but I, I think it'll be a continued um, source of transaction volume going forward, um, because I, you know, there are a lot of larger organizations that have been created to your point earlier on the mega deals of the past yeah. um, that are now looking to make sure that they've got the portfolio in the right in the right structure, that they've got the right talent in the organizations to grow the business and. And and frankly, looking to to you know feed their higher growth businesses, and yet while also letting providing the opportunity for the lower growth businesses to stand on their own because they're great solid businesses, mm-hmm. um, and to find their own mechanisms for growth. So yeah, I, I believe it's gonna that in and of itself will continue both portfolio rationalization and then subsequent M and A on the back end of that. So we've got to get smaller to get bigger. We got to get smaller to get. Bigger. I think we've yeah. got to get smaller to drive growth. I think we've got to get smaller to to deliver on focused commitments to our customers in the marketplace. So yeah, there's a a number of dimensions of that uh, of that aspect. 
<laughs> and now I, I want to get back to this point uh, to pay it off because of promised audience. We talk about it a bit uh, earlier, but jumping over to special purpose acquisition corporation mergers and acquisitions. Um, the SPACs, they seem to be dying down right now, along with IPOs compared to what we saw, you know, in 2021. Mm -hmm. I remember every other week we saw a SPAC happening. We saw, you know, some, especially in the digital health space, you know, they were just coming out left and right. But yep. now we still see them, but but just not as much. It's kind of drying up. Uh, yeah, it has definitely. I mean, it's, it's dried up. It's dropped off. I mean, if you think about the first half of, of you know, mid-2021 to 2022, there was there was still a lot of activity. There was still more activity, you know, than than above the average of the previous decade, right? So it's, yeah, yeah. it hasn't gone away completely, but certainly in the last six to nine months, it's, it's slowed down precipitously from the IPO perspective. And SPACs, um, you know, while they were very popular for a period of time, I think, again, not just unique to MedTech across many industries, they've calmed down significantly. So whether the, whether there'll be a tool going forward, I think is a big question. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really a question from a regulatory perspective and a commercial financing perspective. You know, IPOs, I think, will pick up as the economy gets better. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, in the short term, uh, I think some of the companies that historically had thought about IPOing will either have to look for alternative methods of financing or potentially look to, to some of the bigger players to acquire them. Yeah. Oh, and, and that brings up a good point. What is the alternative now? I know it's probably, uh, better served on a case by case basis, but with venture capital being kind of in flux right now. What can some of these smaller players do to to obtain that financing or to obtain that funding? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I think there's a couple of things that we're seeing. And, and when we were at the MedTech conference last week, um, there was a lot of conversations on this. First, in regard to your point on venture. So venture capital funding, we have seen actually maintain its strength and robustness throughout this period. Right. So as IPOs went down and um, and and SPACs went down and overall financing levels dropped about 30%, um, the, venture, the venture capital side actually stayed fairly strong and fairly consistent. Now, as you know, Omar, that's the lifeblood of innovation for the industry yeah. for smaller organizations, right? So we look at that as a really positive trend from a VC perspective, um, that it's still there. So I think there'll be increased focus on venture capital. Um, there's a host of large organizations that have venture capital arms as a part of their structure that are reinvigorating what they're doing from a venture capital perspective. So it's not just, you know, smaller venture capital firms, but some of the big tech players that are investing that way. Um, they're also interested in investing in more partnerships. So I actually think the big techs beyond just pure M&A will be a source of funding and partnerships and, and potential capital for some of these smaller organizations. So I think that's a real positive that that uh, the big mid, big med techs and big tech companies and others are looking at um, this is an opportunity to put some funding in to work for for those innovative organizations. So I think that that piece will continue to be the case, and there'll just probably be more players. There's plenty of money out there. Um, mm -hmm. Now there'll be a bigger variety of players that that the org these organizations could potentially work with. But that's not a you know for a small organization that takes a lot of time and effort, and um, you know they've got to pick their pick their resources the right way to and how they approach it. Of course, of course. 
I want to jump into some of the issues that the industry might be facing right now or the industry is facing. And I'm going to use the 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 SC word, um, SC words, supply chain. Huh. Uh, you know, everybody's talking about supply chain issues, uh, every industry that I can think of, you know, and um, it, and it hits us in, in different ways. I can't tell you the last time that I've been able to find my favorite flavor of Gatorade uh, in a Publix uh, grocery store because it's just so far reaching. Right. right. I mean, with supply chain issues. But what's going on with MedTech and, and, and how is MedTech navigating some of these issues? And I know that's a broad question mm -hmm. because there are many different components. But but what are you seeing and what are you hearing? Well, we're certainly hearing from companies that it continues to be an issue and a challenge. Just the availability of key components and key materials. Obviously, chips and semiconductors are a big issue yeah. from that perspective. And it's not just kind of the broader cross-industry challenges. It's, you know, getting the specific component parts that work for MedTech-connected devices, right? So I think there's um, there still continues to be a challenge from that standpoint. The good news is, and we've heard this a lot from clients over the past few months, that organizations, one, are increasing their ability to, to see into their supply chain and understand where the issues are sooner, right? Mm -hmm. So there is better visibility and that companies are continuing to invest in tools to, to get increased visibility. Um, so that in and of itself is, is a positive. It won't pay off today or tomorrow, but it will pay off longer term. Um, but the other thing is the industry's come together really impressively um, with the support of AdvaMed as a convener in that state to go to suppliers and, and organizations and work with governments to, to really convey the message that, you know, these are life-saving critical devices. These are really important for the broader population. And there are certain times that what regular consumers might want to get of their standard electronics may have to <clears throat> wait for healthcare and med tech. And I think there's been some really positive stories and, and demonstrations of that across the industry. Um, I think the other component that organizations are doing and we're hearing a lot more of is is creating uh, direct relationships with their key suppliers, where in the past they may have worked through distributor organizations or two or three layers, right, uh, to get to the component parts. I think a lot of medtech organizations are looking to be really creative on how they work with those companies. We had our CEO panel and, and a couple of CEOs talked about their companies' relationships with suppliers that historically they just never had direct relationships with. But they've taken the time, they've built the infrastructure internally to be able to create those relationships and create you know, more predictability to those suppliers as from a demand perspective. So we're not out of the woods yet. There is still more to do. I think there's going to be continuing challenges. And you look at the backlogs and, and things like that on people's books, it's certainly a demonstration of that. But, you know, there's organizations working every day, you know, around the clock, around the globe, uh, trying to get this supply chain visibility increased and ability to get the parts, you know, much faster and much more predictably. So that's the challenge, but we're hopeful. Yeah, we've often heard um, the phrases thrown around that we're facing unprecedented challenges, uh, especially with the supply chain issues. But has there ever been a time that you can recall that there was such a strain over a, a, a long period such such as there is now. Do, can you ever recall, I mean, back throughout your career that that MedTech or, or any industry for that matter has has had to deal with with something like this for so long? I can't 
from my perspective, I mean, I think about kind of meaningful events and seminal moments. Obviously, they've been probably in, in our industry more tied to natural disasters yeah, around yeah, the globe, right? But those, yeah. relatively speaking, um, from a time horizon perspective, are shorter. You've obviously got global conflict and wars um, that would probably be longer term mm-hmm. interrupters in supply chains. If we go back even further, a little even before my time. But um, I think this is a a unique scenario and it's unique because it's across industry, Omar. That's the other piece of the puzzle. You know, it's not there's factories you're competing for making certain parts for certain products. Then there's transportation and shipping, which the costs have increased exponentially. There's, you know, getting the products to market, um, those types of things. So it's it's covering um, a much broader piece of the landscape that I think historically we can we can really point to other examples of. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I know I was having a conversation uh, with someone, I believe it was someone from MassMedic out uh, mm-hmm. of Massachusetts, uh, out of Boston. And they were mentioning the fact that there's going to, they didn't say this specifically, but it was more so that there's such a strong need for manufacturing back in the U.S. And there's a there's a huge spotlight on, you know, manufacturing processes right now and that we could be, you know, we could almost be on the cusp of seeing a turn in, in a sense back to those manufacturing, not back to the jobs, but just the importance of manufacturing in the States. So, very oh, I think, yeah, I think yeah. I'm. I think you hear a lot of conversations about that. I think it's an important thing to look at. Um, but I also think there's a second piece to that discussion, Omar, that's really mm-hmm. important. When we talk to our um, the EY manufacturing and supply chain experts that that work not just for medtech, but for other industries, mm-hmm. um, the second piece to that puzzle is not only you know where you're doing it, but but how you're manufacturing and the technology tools that are now available for manufacturing and supply chain that weren't available 15 or 20 years ago, and yeah. how companies need to leverage them. So and those costs those take an investment in capital. So it's also, you know, from a certainly from a medtech company standpoint, it's it's how are you going to allocate the capital you have because it's you know costs a lot of money to build a new plant in in a in the domestic U.S. right, but it also yeah. The technology that would go into that plant may look a little bit different, and you may want to deploy that technology in other parts of the globe as well. So it's, I think it's as much about location as it is about enabling technology for manufacturing. I want to talk about another pain point uh, in the med tech industry, and that's staffing shortages in hospitals and, and healthcare facilities. And if, you know, one of the things that I know and, and that I've been watching closely are the earnings for a lot of med tech companies. Yep. And many of them are, you know, without naming names, but many of them are saying, hey, this is a huge problem. And companies that you that have that are pioneering technologies and that are pretty big in the space, you know, they're struggling. You know, they're mm-hmm. having, I don't want to say subpar, but less than optimal earnings each year because not each year, but but since this period began uh, the pandemic because of these staffing shortages. And I, I wonder what you've heard. And and I mean, what can we what can happen from this? Uh, how can we overcome this pain point? I know that's the 50 million dollar question. <laughs> yeah. That is. I think it's even higher than 50 million. That's yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, th- I think it's a couple pieces, right? When we talk to our colleagues that that work with healthcare healthcare providers, um, they will tell you that it has been incredibly difficult um, from the peak of the pandemic through now, 
right, from a staffing perspective. And it's obviously hit in different parts of the country at different times. So from a medtech view, where you're deploying products and how you're shipping things and where you're routing things, you know, could virtually change in a matter of 24 hours. Yes. So it's been incredibly unpredictable. I think the second piece of the puzzle, obviously, to your point, is the staffing shortages and being able to build for a health system to build a calendar of procedures that's reliable and, and efficient is another big challenge if they can't get the staff in, right? So, um, and how you're moving patients in inside and outside the facility is incredibly challenging. So just um, so many variables that come into play that go beyond just the physical staffing, right? And just how the they operate. And, and not to mention, obviously, you know, procedures generate revenue for healthcare systems. So they've got to be able to do procedures so they can, um, you know, generate revenue. So I think there's there's some pieces of that puzzle. I think the other part of it is for the healthcare systems that are larger and the health systems that that have um, you know stronger balance sheets, they're able to um, pay increased wages to get the staffing to back to the normal levels. But the cost of that staffing is significantly higher, right? So so healthcare systems that are that are back to full staffing and full schedules, the cost of doing that is incredibly expensive. At some point in time, that cost um, is going to impact their ability to spend capital on other parts of the industry, right? So at some point in time, they'll be coming back to medtech and pharma and suppliers and other suppliers to say, listen, our costs have gone up significantly. You know, we can't spend as much money on on your products and your services as we did in the past, right? So there's a there's an ongoing effect here. It's incumbent upon the medtechs to work with the healthcare systems to help them better manage patient flow, understanding where the products need to be at the right places, just more transparency, visibility, and communication seems to be where it's getting a little bit better. Um, and I think there's willing parties on both sides to try and alleviate some of this pain. So the good news is, and we've said this about other things, the, the type of collaboration that happened because it had to happen in the pandemic has actually set a great foundation for collaboration going forward in staffing shortages and and supply chain issues and other things like that. So, you know, I think everybody feels better about the ability to navigate through this because we're just all communicating more effectively. Yeah, we're all working together and collaboration seems to to be the key. Yeah, everybody's lining up behind making sure the patients are taken care of. I mean, that's ultimately what we're all here to do. And um, and that's certainly, that's been reinforced as, as these external challenges have continued to occur. Awesome, awesome. Well, Jim, thanks for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech. I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about this. Omar, I'm always happy to chat with you and, uh, and thanks for doing what you're doing. We really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks again to our guest, Jim Welch, EY's global MedTech leader. It's always an amazing conversation whenever Jim comes around and we really appreciate him being on the show. And please be sure to visit us at mddionline.com for all of your MedTech news. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us here at Let's Talk MedTech on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks, and once again, take care.